14. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Rob. Hey, good morning, everybody. Now, I am enjoying starting some of these sermons off with reflections on childhood, and today is no different. So as a child, I was afraid of the dark. I, I just, quick show of hands, how many people here can resonate with that as a child? Really not, I'm, I'm surprised. Okay, I, well, our basement was especially creepy, so maybe it was that. It was filled with spiders and probably monsters, um, and my family loved scary movies, um, and we'd watch them together in the living room, and I don't know why we engaged in this ritual, but we often tried to make the, the movies scarier, as scary as possible, by doing things like turning off the power in the middle of the movie at the worst point, or someone calling the landline and just breathing on the other end, <laughs> or sneaking up behind one another, or you know, keeping popcorn in the basement and only deciding after the movie started that everyone wants popcorn and that I should be the one to get it. Now this one time after um, an especially scary movie finished, it was dark out and my older sister, uh, she made me a bet that I couldn't uh, go outside. And I didn't have the common sense at the time uh, to say no to a bet, especially when my sister could use it in the future um, as blackmail, saying, well, you didn't do this. So I went outside, and she locked the door, turned the lights off, and I got over it, but barely. Um, I think that I re retained my man card, which is what, what I was concerned of at the time, as an 11-year-old, I'm sure. Um, a lot of us have or have had a fear of the dark. And thankfully, mine has mostly resolved in, uh, in time. Um, there's a word for this, nyctophobia. Nyctophobia. Um, this fear is believed to, to stem from an evolutionary place. Uh, the, dar the darkness historically represented uh, danger and vul vulnerability to predators. Um, you know, as children mature, their rational thinking and, and their understanding of the dark improves. Their imagination, that those fears of monsters and things like that, which once seemed so real, tend to diminish. Um, but light can be really helpful, can it? Light can be really helpful in this whole equation. Now, more terrifying than dark. One theme in scripture is this fear of light, right? There's a fear of light that we see in this passage. 
mean, imagine coming back upstairs from the dimly lit, spider-filled basement and being more afraid of walking into the living room than you were of going down into the basement. This doesn't typically happen because light reveals things. Light opens your eyes. It gives you more information so you don't have to fill the gaps with assumptions. Light tends to be as comforting as the thing it reveals. I'll say that again. Light tends to be as comforting as the thing it reveals. Um, so what is this fear of light that we're seeing in the Bible here? Now, our passage begins on an ordinary night with ordinary shepherds or ordinary people doing an ordinary task. Um, these are not magi. They aren't princes. They aren't captains of great armies. These are shepherds who spend their days chasing down sheep who have numerous predators and they get dirty and they need to be fed and they need water, they need constant attention. These are shepherds who live in tents and bring their food and the tents with them. Um, they take turns sleeping to watch over their flocks at night. It is an unglamorous life. This is where our passage begins, uh, but not where our passage ends. Our, the passage um, involves an encounter, the ordinary with the extraordinary, um, the extraordinary breaking into the small lives of shepherds sitting in the dark. And these shepherds are given a message, and it's announced to them that history is going to be changed forever and changed for the better. Now, in this sermon, I'm going to use light and dark to help kind of organize and walk us through this passage. And particularly, I'm going to use that in verse 10. Verse 10, do not be afraid. I will bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. I'm going to use three of those phrases, good news, great joy, and all the people. And I'm, I'm going to look at those phrases in the dark and in the light. And I'm not going to do it in that order, because this is Joy Sunday, so we've got to end with joy. So I'm going to mix things up. I'm going to start with all the people, and then I'm going to go to great, great news, and then I'm going to talk about great joy. Now, if, if, this, if these shepherds were living in the dark before this angelic encounter, I think we can admit that most of us have lived our lives in the dark. We expect the candles of Advent to be lit one at a time in a yearly rhythm to guide our path to encounter um, the once and coming incarnated God. Our working assumption is that while we might encounter God in religious spaces, in, in moments of meeting with fellow humanity through the work of our hands, in, in our prayer closets, we won't experience anything like this. Our working assumption is that we will not be sitting in a field and have a, an angel appear out of nowhere and make an announcement to us. I mean, if Christ returns in our lifetime, yes, yes, we expect magnificent things. But otherwise, we expect our days to be lived just like the days of the shepherds. Will we ever encounter God's glory visibly and audibly? You know, I think that we can relate to the shepherds sitting in the dark, as could most of the Jews at the time of 
this writing. Sitting in the dark with the expectation of darkness. Now, the first thing that God's light reveals, right, pertains to the nations here. And so let's think about what it means to, to see in darkness uh, that message to the nations. And then what a passage like this, maybe it only gives us a glimpse of that, but what it, what it gives us when there's light shined on it. I mean, darkness shaped the religious imagination of, of the Jews at the time, their understanding of the Messiah. I mean, see, at this time, the Jews were under Roman occupation. They were not a self-governed people. Um, in this, there was a layer of darkness as the word Messiah would, was bathed in the tradition of the Maccabean revolt and the zealotry of Judas Maccabeus. They imagined a Messiah who would do what this earlier Jewish leader did in securing a, a Jewish freedom from this state of Roman occupation. The Messiah was expected um, to return the Jews to a state of self-government. Um, as in the Davidic dynasty. I mean, that is what God promised, that David's line would last forever. In darkness, we tend to assume the status quo. We tend to assume that God will repeat history and work in ways that God has worked in in the past. But in this re revealing light, this angelic encounter, a pivotal shift occurs. This understanding of God's message, what God's planning to do in the world, and it is in this announcement for all the people, right? This, is, this word, in this context, transcends traditional national boundaries. It's a joy that it's extending to everyone, right? Irrespective of their ethnic, social, or religious background. That term, laos, historically, it refer, re, has been used to reference the people of God. Um, it's the term from which we get laity, um, but I, I, I think it's being expansively used and redefined to include all. I mean, and, and the shepherds are a really interesting uh, illustration of this. I mean, they were humble. They, weren't, they had no status, um, but they were the first recipients of this message um, for everyone. They had no stage, um, and so everything would have to travel by word of mouth, relationally, as it still does. I mean, a world, a world stage will not save the world. This, this message of, of joy, it, it breaks down um, walls. It bridges gaps. And it moves beyond conventional confines of what it means to be the people of God. It represents a, a departure from this, this Jewish Messiah who's traditionally envisioned as a political liberator. Jesus is the one who healed a Roman centurion's child. Jesus is the one who, who urged radical love towards enemies. Jesus taught on the Sermon of the Mount actions like... Um, oh, did I lose the page? I lost a page. Let's, let's ad lib. This is fun. <laughs> I mean, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, it's expected that you will go a mile if a, a, a Roman soldier tells you to go a mile, but go two miles. That is, the, that is what is needed 
to be children of your father. Um, Jesus said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, but unto God what is God's. I, I mean, there's a, a breaking of paradigms where Jesus isn't a, a national prophet anymore. Jesus is doing something that transcends those boundaries and those barriers. Jesus is not the Jewish liberator, but Jesus is, under the light of God, the savior of the nations. He was born humbly, um, heralded by shepherds. He was not a warrior king. God had a broader purpose in mind. We just get a glimpse of that. We get a glimpse of God subverting expectations of who will be the Messiah. And it's, I'll say more on this, but it's because we needed that. We needed what, what God gave us rather than what we thought we needed. Now, the second revelation that, that this angel's light brings right, is about our expectations of good news and the renovation of our hearts. You know, if you look at verse 10 with me, so do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And 11, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ, that is Messiah, the Lord. You know, even there, we see Savior next to Messiah. You know, there, there's something deeply personal that goes beyond the, the saving of Israel here. This talks to, speaks to the renovation of our hearts and, and what God planned to do through the life of Jesus. Um, in scripture, we, we see a, a fear as the, this initial response to divine encounters. Daniel was overwhelmed with fear at the sight of an angel. Zacharias, when he encountered Gabriel, he was struck mute with fear. I mean, women at Jesus' tomb, they were afraid. Uh, this fear arises um, because we're not just witnessing the supernatural. We're being confronted with the glory of God. And that is something that illuminates our hearts. You know, this has been called by some people, not just any light, but a special kind of light, a divine light that, that acts like a mirror, right? So when you see it, you know, you see yourself as well. And it, it illuminates part of, parts of us that we often want to keep hidden. Uh, it's a light that exposes our true self, our flaws, our need for transformation. Um, it's, in, it's in the darkness, you know, we want to externalize God's work as something that happens out there for the societal evils or with other people that, that obviously need it. Um, we're so comfortable today talking about systemic corruption, um, but the work here is a renovation of a savior who would work at a personal level. The good news in this, when we, we bring in the light of Christ, and, and, or the light of, of the angels in this case, and it's just a glimpse, but God responds to our brokenness. Our need, our, our, the human condition, that flawed human condition, uh, even of the world, right? It begins with the renovation of our hearts. It starts with you every time. It starts with me every time. Um, and this theme is, is echoed throughout the Bible, that, that inhumanities fall from grace. And I, Isaiah's prophecy of a redeemer 
who would bring righteousness and peace. Um, I mean, you see those two things going together, right? The righteousness and peace. That, that, that righteousness is something that, I mean, we, 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 it has to characterize and define us, our hearts, our actions. Um, and, and, and it's inextricably linked with peace. Um, you know, God subverts our, our expectations in a lot of ways. And another, another thing I see in this is, is probably what gets mentioned most when people preach this passage. And that, that is, you know, the Savior that God gave is lying in a manger, lying in an animal trough. I mean, God's answer to our deepest needs is not a magi, it's not a prince, it's not a soldier who manages great armies. Um, it comes from a baby, and a baby born of humble means. Um, these are ways that we couldn't have anticipated, anticipated. we wouldn't have anticipated. Um, not a political leader, um, a humble child that cares about your heart that wants you. This Messiah lying in a manger is God's response to the problem of the human condition. The, the issue of divine judgment we, that we've been talking about, the fulfillment of God's covenant. He comes not to meet our expectations, but to transform those expectations um, and offering a path to redemption that, that begins with you. So in the light uh, in the, or in the darkness, we we tend to externalize a lot. Um, but in the light, we can't do that because there's a mirror that shines right on us and right through us. And we know that we need God to work, to renovate our hearts, to transform our lives, to, so that our, our, our hearts would actually want God. <laughs> that is the, the, I mean, miracle of the Christian faith is that it's impossible to love God without the work of God. Um, Now the last, the last thing, or the third thing, um, this this Sunday that we're talking about, um, we're talking about joy. The the third thing that the angel announces, right? I bring good news of great joy that will be for all the people. I mean, but before we delve into the light side of joy, what's what's just glimpsed at in this, right? That that humanity's destiny is one of joy. I mean, let's consider our state in the dark. Um, I mean, I've been, I've been listening to, um, like that, that profoundly haunting song by Billie Eilish, What Are We Made For? Um, which is, which is such a, an expression of lostness, right? About, you know, where we as humans, um, yeah, where, where, where we are when we, when we lose Kind of that central gripping anchor and foundation. Um, you know, a lot of us here at, in the church, we, we maybe don't resonate with um, the extent of that song, but, but the, the, the lostness in that darkness is, is, is something that I think this time of year we're tempted to kind of go astray in a different direction, which is really kind of kind of a see, seeing joy through kind of a disease distorted lens which is 
I mean, one where we equate joy with temporary happiness and festivities and kind of, I don't know, the, the laurel and all these, all these Christmas traditions, um, material comfort, um, people coming together, having, I don't know, a break from work. Um, I think that in, in the darkness, right, we, we want to use any means um, to bring joy. And actually, we, we tend as a culture, I think, to justify anything that does bring joy, viewing joy kind of as an, as an end in itself, um, which, you know, I, I, I wonder... I wonder if I wonder if when the the light in this passage right shines on this message of joy if if we can't if we can no longer <laughs> uh, disentangle joy from the work of God anymore or disentangle joy from from what it means to be um, in God's story I mean the the announcement made to the shepherds brings us into the light it reveals a different dimension of joy um not just good news but transformative news that brings great joy for all people and and i i I think this is this is something that as a church we help to kind of growing practices to to help shape this um capacity for for this kind of joy i mean um I was reading a little bit about joy this week and the, the joy the the joy grant that, that Yale got a couple of years ago, um, maybe a decade ago now actually. Um, and some of the, the interviews that they did with people on on what it is what it is, this Christian joy. Um, and I was I was most struck I think by NT Wright's um, commentary comments on, on joy, saying that joy is what happens, right? It's the response when God acts, and that that when it, God's people have been waiting and God acts. Um, so it, it, it's this this idea that joy presupposes a deep knowledge of God, a relationship with God, a trust with in God's promises, and a patient waiting for their fulfillment. It's it's a joy that acknowledges God's faithfulness, past, present, and future. Um, and, and I think that when, when we take joy in that, in that wider context, I think that it's a state of being that permeates, I mean, our circumstances, our emotions, even our existence. It's, it's, it's a joy that I have witnessed um, with other people in a hospital setting as, as people breathe their last breath. And how, how is that possible that joy and grief can can actually coincide um i think that it's because people are grounded in i mean something a lot deeper than the, the present moment and their trust permeates further than that and I, I think we need that as a culture um or I, I think we need that as a church where you know i i think sometimes we can uh fall back on and 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 just want the superficial joy of this time of year. Um, that joy that's not available to some of us where this time of year is really hard. But I think that the joy that is available is, is that grounded joy, that joy where we anticipate God in Advent, his once and coming um, actions, joy breaking into the waiting, transforming us 
from, from being just passive into being hopeful. Um, I think that as 21st century Christians, joy exists kind of on, on that spectrum between faith and hope. Um, and, and you have to have both of them in order to experience joy. It's, 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 it's beyond the superficiality of, of the joys of this world. Um, it's more than happiness. It's, it's, I mean, a celebration of God's continued work and, and that we're in it. Um, now, now, maybe we just get three glimpses in this passage um, of, of what light does. Um, and I think we're invited to, to reflect more um, on the ways that light actually comes into our life as Christians. I mean, Paul uses this phrase in um, Ephesians that, that we have been given the armor of light. Um, and I've, I've been thinking a little bit about that, um, that maybe we won't sit in a field someday and have a, a, an angelic encounter. Maybe we will, um, but what we do have is an armor of light, which is an armor that comes from, I mean, encountering God in this transformed way, right? Where, where we no longer are, are hoping for the smallness of, an, of, a, of a Messiah to fix things external to our hearts um, that doesn't involve the entire world. Um, and, and that maybe settles for um, an experiential joy. Um, true joy, as a central theme of the Christian message, is rooted in the anticipation and fulfillment of God's promises. It's, it's accessible to all people. It's not limited by, by social, social spaces, by, by ethnicity or background. Um, and this armor of light, I think, is a shield against the darknesses of this world, many of, many of which are, are coming as, as um, yeah, at, especially at this time of year, I think. Um, now, as we close, um, I, I want you to consider one thing, and that's the response of the shepherds. I, I, I think that I was really struck by the simplicity of Daniel's message and, and the idea of, well, we heard it. We're not just going to do nothing about it. Let's go tell people. Um, I, I think that there's, there's something there, but, but let, me, let me reiterate something I said earlier, which is that we, I mean, we, God, God did not intend this message to spread on a global stage. God intended this message to spread by word of mouth from the ground up. Um, shepherds were not, I mean, necessarily the, the, the people who could affect the most change, make the most people believe. I don't know where they, they fit on the spectrum of, of credibility, um, but... I mean, there's, there's, this was God's plan. This was the way God chose to do it. Um, and I can't help but resonate with the fact that that's still how God's choosing to do it. Um, God is still choosing to, to make um, evangelists 
out of ordinary people like me. Um, and, and there isn't another way um, that God is working. This is, this is how he does it, through people, relationally, word of mouth, um, and, and it flows out of a joy, right? A joy that we have encountered and been changed by God. Um, so, so let me pray for us as we close. Um, God, I thank you that um, your light reveals us. Um, and maybe at first it's a terrifying light, but I thank you that it's a clarifying light. Um, and I thank you that you use it to show us who you are and what you plan for us. Um, and I pray that we would situate, situate ourselves deeply within your story um, and the way that you have worked through history. Um, I pray that our joy would not be found outside of you, but our joy would be deeply found in you so that even though we may grieve, even though this may be a difficult time of year, um, we, we have joy that emerges from our faith in you and our eternal hope. Um, come, Lord Jesus, we pray. In Jesus' name. Let's rise once again and sing praise to our God.